Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. We are here after a truly magical weekend in Minneapolis with just some results that would probably make you cry. So uh, we have the fortune of recording a show in front of actually a pretty bonkers live audience with some like full on just drunk people at uh, a brewery outside the race venue. Um, we have some uh, guests who I will name, such as Andrew Musgrave of Great Britain and Ben Ogden of the United States. And then we uh, had a special shirtless guest grace us with their presence uh, a little ways into the episode. And I suggest that you stick around at least until then. Um, the audio quality is, I would say, on brand as we were taking the feed out of the live uh, PA speaker at the brewery. So, you know, we're sorry, but I think you'll live with it. And uh, yeah, we had a we had a great show. It's an hour and a half. Uh, so really settle in with the dishes. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, in a little while and including right after this message. This episode is brought to you by the Sovereign to Silver Star Ski Marathon, also known as S2S. This race in British Columbia sounds amazing. I wish that I could go. Having been to Silver Star one time, it is still stuck in my memory as a cross-country skiing paradise with basically limitless trails and epic amounts of snow. They've got great snow conditions there now and a solid base. The marathon is the weekend of April 6th. They actually have two days of racing, one in classic, one in skate. You can ski and stay at Silver Star, and they've got a sweet-sounding silent auction for charity with $15,000 worth of stuff. A portable VO2 max analyzer, flight packages, a stay at the Yukon Ski Lodge, and some Fisher Speed Max skis. The marathon is at the end of the season, it's all about participation, though for those still riding race fitness, there's also $10,000 in prize money on the line, including a club participation category. Go check out this event. It sounds awesome. More information at SovereignToSilverStar.com. That's two as in the number two, SovereignToSilverStar.com. Or you can email info at SovereignToSilverStar.com. Um... Welcome to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. Um, right, right. Before we start, I've got to get a little uh, get a little selfie on the go for the gram. So, so make lots of noise. Nice one, thank you. So we have like, I think we have a thousand percent of our entire audience here, which is pretty remarkable. Um, so I'm Nat Herz. Uh, I don't really do anything except for help with this podcast, but we have two distinguished other people on this podcast. Um, maybe we'll start with Devin Kershaw, who uh, is uh, mostly known as a med student and a, a mediocre med student in Norway who's distracted by his other pursuits, but he does have a world title to his name in the uh, team sprint in uh, Oslo in 
2011. Do I think I do I have that right? Our internet connection is unstable. That's not good for this moment. So yeah, and Devin, do you wanna um, do you wanna introduce uh, Mr. Musgrave to my right? Sure. I'd love to introduce to Muzzy. First of all, I want to thank Muzzy for showing up. I mean, that, that's pretty big of him. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when I got promised free beer, I turn up to anything, so. Yeah, perfect. That's the Brit in you. That's, that's the Scottish in you. No, but we've, we've had actually Muzzy on the podcast before, so, the, so we don't really need like a huge, huge introduction to the guy, but... He's been a stalwart on the World Cup circus for a long, long time. He has multiple World Cup podiums to his name as recently as this season in classic, I'll have you know, which is pretty shocking. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and leads the British team and has led the British team for a number of seasons. So we're super thrilled to have you here. And yeah, let's, uh, let's get, I'm, I'm really psyched to hear your perspective on how it was here in Minneapolis. Looked amazing, by the way. Uh, yeah. uh, from an athlete's perspective, you guys made it absolutely awesome. Like, there's a few races that are extra special we do, and like Oslo is obviously the biggest one we do. The Oslo 50, there's these huge crowds, there's this, there's this awesome atmosphere, and everybody looks forward to doing it each year. But like coming here, it was like it was like being in Oslo at the 50k. And like even the warm up was like the atmosphere was absolutely awesome. So I, I was like I was getting overexcited when I was warming up today. So that, I'm gonna blame you guys for me not winning because I did, went way too hard warming up. I, I was gonna ask what, well, did you... what I thought was absolutely incredible is like I had friends sending me videos of Jesse Diggins. There was a cameraman when when somebody's filming you warming up like literally skiing with a giant like red camera behind and beside Jesse Diggins for her warm-up, then you know, then you know it's a big deal. So it was, uh, the atmosphere just seems so electric and man, what a venue. What an amazing venue. Did, uh, what kind of, uh, like cheering were you getting out there? Did people know who you were? They were like, who's that? Like, nice job, Great Britain. What is that? <laughs> now, I, it's like, I've never felt popular in my life before, but I was getting all this, Mersey, Mersey. And I was, I was living the dream. I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely coming back next time. Well, I, I do think we should take a second. I mean, everyone who is in this room, I imagine, if you're in this room and you weren't at the races for the last couple of days, I don't know what you're doing, uh, like why you're, why you're here. Um, but I think for people who are just listening to this or who will be listening to it uh, via the recording that I'm making on the Voice Memos app on my iPhone, um, I, I, I think it's really, I just, I think everyone probably tips their had to these organizers just especially this being the first ever uh or at least in decades world cup organized in the united states by these minneapolis organizers the Lopit foundation i think there's kind of a general expectation that the first time you have a world cup somewhere that like some things are cool and some things are kind of a dumpster fire chaos and there really wasn't I didn't observe much dumpster fire chaos. Like everything really kind of fired on all cylinders. Like the production was incredible. You had announcers, like stadium announcers uh, leaning into like the, the correct pronunciations of the international athletes' names. So um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, it just, it was remarkable, I thought. Yeah, or from, from an athlete perspective, like, everything was super good. Uh, hotel was nice. Crowds were great. Got to the venue on time. Like, things ran smoothly, and that's a lot better than a lot of venues. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Well, and you even organized snow for us the day we arrived. We, <laughs> we, well, I, I, I'm not going to lie, we got here and we landed on uh, at the airport on Wednesday and it looked a little bit like a desert and I was like, oh, it's not going to be so great. And then it like snowed overnight and we went to look at the venue for the first time the next day and it was absolutely beautiful. So yeah. the snow definitely, or maybe it was going to be beautiful anyway, but the snow definitely made it beautiful. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a super nice venue. Totally. Um, two things. One, I forgot to mention, uh, it would be fun for us to take a few questions at the end, and uh, we're going to ask you actually to send them in to Devin. He's going to curate them. Uh, so Devin at fasterskier.com if you've got something. Uh, Devin, D-E-V-O-N at fasterskier.com. Send him an email. Um, but then I was going to suggest, let's let's talk about the races, because, you know, it's already 11 uh, Five in uh, in Norway PM and Devin is really uh, putting in the hours for us and we don't want to keep you here much past like I don't know two a.m. So we have three hours to get through four races and I don't know um, I mean Devin you probably actually had the best vantage point on uh, at least yesterday's races it sounds like maybe there were some tel television uh, issues today but should we should we start with these uh, sprints from yesterday? Sure, sure. Absolutely, we should start with the sprints. I want to start with the men's sprint. And my first question is, what's the difference maker between Thomas Westgard Maloney and Andrew Musgrave, the fact that he whipped into a 58th place finish in the sprint and Muzzy sat this one out, which was a little bit surprising. What, 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 what are you saying? You said, you said I didn't... In the, in the sprint. Well, where's your name on the sprint? I don't even see your name. Thirty third, mate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mate, come on, do your research. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Jesus, oh it got caught with my pants down. I'm not used to seeing you so close to Volnus. <laughs> burn, mate, burn. Maybe that was the. Problem. Yeah, no, it was burn. Oh, but that, that's true. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm. That was that's quite the spring qualifier, and that's a that's a that's a blast from the past. No, but about the sprint itself, I thought like I thought it was an amazing course, and I thought it was super interesting in the fact that you know it was a long and a very like fair course in a lot of ways. Yet the start was so incredibly important out there, like even with wide trails, a fair and long sprint finish along like 15 seconds 10 to 15 seconds sprint finish the start just seemed like it was so so important and it meant for all these heats like we start with the race. like i thought it was incredible that if you were out of position if you were back in like fourth or or worse in this sprint like it was really really hard to to move around it seemed like a lot of corners a lot of changes of pace and and i don't know i thought thought the sprint was actually like pr pretty amazing especially on the men's side i thought i don't know like I thought the Americans did another great job. And I wanted to ask Nat, I don't know if you got a chance to ask um, JC, Schoonmaker, but what's up with his poles exploding? I mean, this time it was his fault. He stepped between his legs and, and it blew up. But uh, I didn't see a whole lot of other carnage, which I thought I 
would have seen in a course like this, to be perfectly frank. It, well, the one thing that I did see on social media yesterday was that uh, I guess Evan Nortug of Norway also broke a poll in the final because uh, there was like a family that posted a, a photo with him being like, hey, Evan, we have your poll if you want it back. And he's like, I'm good. Thanks, guys. Uh, he was fifth. I, it, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't catch JC in a huge amount of depth, but what I do recall him saying, I think, was that... Uh, he was already not in a great spot by the time he smashed his poles and did not seem to think that he was in position to advance anyway. So that's about all the intel I have. There are a lot of people in this room that might have more intel than that. So if you have it, pass it along to Devin. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a little, it, it did feel a little sad yesterday. I mean, we, uh, we had a really impressive qualifier from Gus Schumacher. Um, and if that had been the only thing that he had done all weekend, fine. Uh, but I think, you know, it was kind of a bummer to see that Jesse was the only uh, American who was able to make it into the semis. And um, but I think everyone here pours one out for mono-inflicted Ben Ogden. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been, I, I think, especially on the men's side, uh, you know, seeing JC, who's been so strong, like, uh, not make it into the semis, just again, sort of testament to how competitive the men's sprint field is. But um, I don't know, should we fast forward to the final? I mean, maybe maybe we do have to also uh, like give a Palmar to, uh, uh, I do, I'm gonna mess up this name big time, but Halmi Pueyo of Espana, who uh, like, what? If, Andrew, do you know this guy? Does anyone know this guy? Uh, I didn't know so much about him before this season, but he's been skiing pretty good recently. So it wasn't like a massive surprise that he qualified. But like the fact that he was like so good in his heat was pretty impressive. So I was not expecting him. I was kind of expecting like, okay, he's just qualified. He's going to be like hanging off the back and he's going to be struggling. And then you see him up the last hill, just absolute going for it. Gets a little gap over the top of the hill as well. So he was super impressive. So it's cool to see some other small nations uh, doing well. So um, he's definitely one to watch out for because he, he's been pretty good early in the season as well. So, And does, does anyone know what happened to Eric Valmes? Has anyone seen him? Is he okay? Uh, I saw him in the distance race today. Um, and I skied behind him for a little bit and I lost some time when I skied behind him. So I'm going to blame him. He's, he's, also, he's also to blame for me not winning. It's both you guys and Valmes. Um, Devin, uh, you want to... Really, it was a shock to me that he didn't qualify. I mean, I thought it was like a total and utter shock that Valmes didn't qualify when you're, you know, in such a tight fight for the sprint overall and you're against Claybo, and then you don't even make the heats, now it's over. I mean, Claybo just put 100 points into you, it's game over. Um, like, but what a season he's had, but not a, not a great way to finish this North American tour for him. And I think it is true, not what you said, like Gus qualifying fourth, and actually, like, skied a super solid heat. I mean, he was right in there, he was where he needed to be. I want to, like, pour one out to Tony Sear, too, after... Maybe one of the worst tactical decisions I've ever seen in a sprint, in the classic sprint on Tuesday in Camor when he decided to lead the whole race only to explode with 30 seconds to go and finish last in his heat. Uh, Tony got into the got into the heats in a skate sprint, which is something he hasn't done. And 
was really able to hold his own against like Ashanava and, and Klebo, which I thought was like incredible. Yeah, he finished 19th in the end because he only qualified 29th, but I thought it was an amazing, I thought it was an amazing performance. I also thought it was an amazing performance by your teammate, uh, Mazi, uh, James. Like Jimmy had a great race to finish eighth overall, but he qualified seventh and he's kind of been bouncing around this year, like especially in his qualifiers. And it seemed like he really put together like a super solid day. Do you have any like backstory to that? Like did the course suit him or was he, he obviously was super motivated, but he was right in there. And I mean, it was touch and go if he could have made the final too. So it'd be cool to get a little bit of backstory on Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's eighth place. Like it was good to see. This is like Jimmy is good and he's just been struggling the start of the season. So he's not even been bouncing around. He's just been rubbish. Um, <laughs> and so, it, but like... This is the level Jimmy has, so it was nice to see him back skiing. Where is that? But I'm, I've got a little inside info. It was we in the hotel we're staying at? There's a wee basketball court, and we've been going around. We've been doing a little jog in the afternoon. We've been going for a little bit of basketball afterwards, and we met uh, Axel Teichmann, the German ex skier now coach. Big guy, basketball yeah. size. And he's good at basketball as well. We were playing a little two v two with him and one of the guys from Fis. And uh, Jimmy was playing for two minutes and twisted his ankle. And then he like, he like hobbles off and he's like, oh, it, because our coach had been like, guys, if you're playing basketball, be careful. And then Jimmy's like, uh, okay, we're going to be careful, of course. Uh. And then two minutes in, he twists his ankle and then he like hobbles off pretending it's fine. And I speak to his girlfriend later on and she's like, uh, Jimmy is whining so much about his ankle. And I have to go and be sympathetic. Oh. And, then, and then to us, he's pretending it's all fine. And then he showed me his ankle yesterday, and it's like blue and like swollen up because he's been tackled by Axel Teichmann. Uh, and so I, I think Teichmann saw that Jimmy was in good shape and was trying to just like uh, break his ankle so that the Germans weren't going to get beaten by him. But so, so he was like super strong yesterday, even with a bit of a screwed ankle. So um, it was pretty impressive. It was nice to see him back in good form. And this is like, yeah, he, Jimmy's been in a few semi-finals before and like quite often he does well when there's like a high speed race and he just kind of tucks in and can like keep up and get through. But whereas this, this race, he was like pulling over the top of the last hill and he was like, he made the heat go fast and he was definitely in form and was super close to the final as well. Yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible performance by him. He's in the USA, man. He's got to get some Jays. You got to get uh, you got to get Jimmy some Jays. He's probably playing basketball in like hookahs or something. Like, come on, he, man. He <laughs> was playing basketball in hookahs. No wonder he twisted his ankle. What ridiculous yeah, exactly. shit! I mean, yeah, exactly. When the sole is like four inches thick. Yeah. I mean, come on. But um, but in the final itself, like I thought, I thought it was in, in, obviously Klebo's on another planet in the sprints this year. I mean, it's 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 absolutely. He had no problem even on a tight turning course. There he is. Oh my God, Ben Ogden in the house. And, straight out of the Jack Kimono. You thought this was your? Yeah. You thought. You thought this was like um, a telehealth consultation? Yeah, I mean... You're putting me on the World Cup, man. You can afford real doctors. <laughs> I don't know about that. You haven't Don't had a real doctor bill in a while, Mr. Norway. <laughs> so, um, now we're just breaking down the sprint, Benny, but nice. nice of you to join us. And I'd like to get your perspective. Sounds and good. And we missed you. We missed seeing you out there smashing today and yesterday. 
appreciate it. It's fun, it's fun to watch. Oh my God! Yeah. So we're just breaking down the sprint first, just to get to cut speed, and then we'll we'll get to the big we'll get to the big juicy story, which was today's just outstanding performance by um, by Westergaard Maloney. That's had a good one too. But in the in the final itself, I don't know. In the men's final, all I'm gonna say is like. Playbo's on another planet. He can't be touched. His stats speak for themselves. He wins well over 50% of every race he does. He's now sealed up the sprint globe. Sorry, Valness, I said it. I meant it. Like, you got put up a brave fight, but not qualifying kind of put a dagger in your heart on that one. I thought it was cool to see Hovard Tugbo back on the podium, too. And, like, Federico Pellegrino, I thought, speaking of last in the past, oh, my God, Mazzi, I'm so sorry you were 33rd in that sprint. <laughs> I like I I did not expect you to be so close to qualifying. That's a hell of a performance. But but Pellegrino too, second like back up in this thing, and uh, in a course like this, I wasn't truly expecting Pellegrino to be quite so good. But the Italians put together an amazing day. Like Holy Simona Darpa in sixth was just I, outrageous. I think the Italians had pretty good skis. Not gonna lie. But also I I'm, I disagree with you on uh, Pellegrino doing well on the course because the course like. When I did it in the warm-up, I was like, oh, my God, this course is super hard. And, like, Pellegrino has shown over the last couple of years with, like, a few distance podiums that he is good when it's hard. And, like, the first part of the course, it was super long to the top of the last uphill. And it was bloody hard work. So I thought, I thought it suited Pellegrino pretty well, just, like, a lot of skate to hard work. And then he's, he's good at the free skate and the finish as well, I reckon. So I thought it was a pretty good course for him. You're, okay, looking, was, you're looking very confused there. Yeah, well, I'm looking a little confused because I, when I think of Pellegrino at his absolute best in skate, is, is, like a, is, is his best course in the World Cup, which is Davos. Which is, yeah, I guess like it's kind of the same thing like in Canadian, like one skate, long working sections, but like they're short, punchy things. Oh, yeah, you know, like that, under two and a half. It's altitude, and like, though. You can't compare. It's like... Yeah, that's true. I think yeah, just lots of the Central European dudes are good when it's a little bit higher altitude because they live at high yeah, altitude. And then, like, I get up there and I can't breathe and I just, like, <laughs> feel like I've got emphysema on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but either, either way, I thought, like, it was, a, it was a pretty fantastic sprint final from the men. I thought it was an exciting race all day. And I thought there was a lot of different names. I was pretty shocked to see Shanava back in 10th, but just kind of ran out of gas out there. Um... Well, Which is something you rarely see in, in, a, in a race that's flat. Definitely the man of the day was Dapra, the uh, Italian lad. Like, he's never qualified in a sprint before, and he was in the final. That's pretty wild. So, yeah. What do you, what's the word for, it's not ciao, but, uh, you know, if you're toasting in Italian. Salut. Salut. Yeah, salut, Dapra. Um, well, maybe, maybe we move on from that. I do want to, you know, engage... Ben a little bit, who has incredibly graciously uh, been willing to jump in with us for a, a second here. And, and he's not even getting the free beers. We're sending him a, a maple a maple remedy, because um, I think that's the drug of choice in Vermont. But, but for, for folks who don't know, and again, I don't know why you're here if you don't know, but um, Ben is a young, talented American sprinter who was on the podium for the first time this year. In the uh, Thank you. World Cup, and uh, Andrew just got another free beer. So, um, uh, but but uh, really, like 
full-on tragically, Ben uh, was struck down with uh, mononucleosis, which the which I do appreciate that the Europeans in the in the European tabloids refer to as glandular fever, um, and. <laughs> So I, I did just want to, you know, give Ben a chance. I mean, I'm curious, Ben, if you like actually watched the races and if this has been in any way a good weekend for you or if you're actually just trying to live under a little bit of a rock right now and want to say hi and then go back to bed. And if so, we, we appreciate you joining us just for a second here. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, no, it was, a, it was a fun weekend for me. Like I, I still watched. I try not to go on Instagram quite as much as maybe I, I would have normally, but that's, you know, not just the mono talking. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it was definitely a, a pretty devastating blow, but I've been, you know, I've been happy with the way I've been able to handle it. And honestly, like part of the, part of what's sort of nice is that, you know, I haven't <clears throat> hardly been able to be out of bed for more than, you know, an hour or two a day for the last uh, four or five days. So there was no part of me that was wondering whether I should have been in Minneapolis, no part of me wondering whether I should have been racing. So I got to just kick back, enjoy the show and, uh, you know, go to sleep afterward. But I was super psyched for everybody yesterday. And I was really proud of how the American fans showed out for, you know, for the big, the big day. And really happy that uh, the, uh, the show cooperated. Yeah. Cheers to the American fans. Snow cooperated, and uh, yeah, it just looked like a fantastic weekend. And you know, what what are you gonna do? There there will be more. So I was happy that as many other things that were out of my control uh, went well. When one thing out of my control went very poorly. <laughs> um, I, I do. You're you are like before a live audience that you, you haven't seen the scope of it, but I would say it's it's more than the usual twelve. Um, but so so like. You don't have to answer this question, but I will say if there is a good story about how you think you got mono, you can tell it now. <laughs> and, and, and this is a good opportunity yeah, to, no, to reference the story of, uh, or the, the sign waiver out there on the course this weekend, which I'm sure you saw that said, I gave Ben Ogden mono. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can be... I can be confident it wasn't, it wasn't that kid who gave me mono. Honestly, I mean... I've, I've been joking to myself like I, I have no idea how I got it and it's funny like we now live in a world where you get horrible sicknesses completely randomly you know the post-covid life but it's uh it's pretty crazy like mono hasn't been on my mind since I was like 19 you know and like that's when people randomly got mono because they were out like kissing and sharing cups at parties and stuff but like that's not the life i live anymore and of course now is when i got mono so rumor has it no that, that might be the lifestyle you've been living mate <laughs> <laughs> there's all these rumors yeah, on the world I'm... cup circuit now <laughs> like there's been a lot of discussion about this some of the finished yeah, chicks yeah. have been very quiet <laughs> <laughs> Well, may maybe, maybe not. The Devin Kershaw show will never know the truth. But uh, no, I, that, that wasn't me. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. But what are you going to do? At least you can't get it twice. So they say. <laughs> well, well, Ben, thank you so much, and and you're you're welcome to to stick around if you want to, you know, uh, partake in these inane recaps. Or I think we'll move on to the uh, women's sprint quickly. Yeah, but if stay for the women's sprint, mate. Give us the give us some details on what you thought. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll stick around. What, did, what, do you have any, uh, any observations in particular from the, from the women's sprint? About the women's sprint? I mean, I, 
it's always interesting to watch a, a race, like a World Cup happening on a course that I've never skied on. So I thought that the tactics going on in the women's race were very interesting. Like I kept expecting that, you know, each heat was going to be the lucky loser heat. And then the next one was just like faster and faster, you know? So that was kind of surprising to me, but I also, I always find Jesse's tactics interesting. You know, she, she charged hard in the quarter and in the, uh, semi and then didn't in the final. Um, and you know, I'm not necessarily advocating that she should have, but I wish I had more information as to what went into that decision and what goes into that decision most weekends. Uh, so I don't know if you guys had thoughts on that. I'm sure, sure Devin has his ideas, but yeah, I thought it was a fun one to watch. <laughs> I agree. I thought it was, I thought it was super fun to watch Benny. And I, like, I, I also was like a bit curious, but I've been talking about this a little bit, mostly like, I guess off air or whatever with, with Nat or whatever, but like, Diggins is like, she's chasing points and I get it. Like I totally get why she's chasing points, but at the same yeah. time we're, we're in the tail end of the season and she's sealed up the overall, like it's, it's done. I mean, I know she's worried about that 50 K classic with Frida Carlson in good form and you can get a lot of points in home and colon with those bonuses. But the fact of the matter is like, it's pretty much signed, sealed and delivered. And I agree. Like she was drilling, like she has been the last few weeks, like drilling the quarter, drilling the semi, and then she got to the final and the hard truth is, I think, like, I'm, I'm sorry to say this in Minneapolis, in a skate sprint, but, like, when Sunling's skiing the way she's skiing and Lynn Swan's skiing the way she's skiing, I, I'm not sure, even if she just took it super tactically in her quarter and her semi, if she could have played the game that, that the Olympic and world champion in the sprint could play. Um, but, but she absolutely could have beat She-Stud, because She-Stud was falling apart yeah. a little bit in the final and if she had saved a little bit of juice in her quarter and her semi i think she could have been in that fight for for third and but at the same time like she put up a hell of a fight and i do want to say this i'm gonna get curious to hear both you guys and that like everybody like the fact of the matter is the fastest times going into the final was like 313 and then soon Ling just opened the biggest can of whoop ass on the field and won in 306 yeah and the way she won was take no prisoners in that final. And when she made her move to the front, it was see you later. Perfect technique, crazy power, accelerating out of all the corners, free skating like a total boss, and like parking Lynn Svon, who in this terrain is like, this is like terrain made in heaven for Lynn Svon, and she's been all over the top. They just totally destroyed Shistad. She still had no chance in hell. And I'm just not sure Diggins could have competed with that level of speed in the final. I, I was blown away with the with the final by Sindling. I thought it was like absolutely outrageously impressive. But I don't know. What did you guys see? What did you see, uh, Nazi? Sindling yesterday was unbeatable. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and like, but I do slightly agree with Jesse. Like, I feel like there's a reason we've changed from the rules in the World Cup where your position in the prologue automatically gives you your position which heat you go into the final and they've changed it to you get to choose your semi your uh, quarterfinal which one you're in um sorry close to the mic now yeah great. Um, right um yeah so there's a there's a reason they've changed the rules that now you select which quarterfinal you go into that's because it's been shown time and time again that the people that are in semi-final number one have a massive advantage over the people in semi-final two when they get to the final because they got a longer recovery 
And if you choose quarterfinal one or two, then if you qualify from them, then you're guaranteed to be in semi-final one. And so Jesse choosing quarterfinal five um, automatically mean... Oh, four, sorry, I, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, four. Not a journal, <laughs> hashtag not a journalist. Not a journalist. No, normally I'd be like slagging off Nat and uh, Devin if they're saying wrong things, but uh, it's me saying wrong things. But yeah, so that, that, that automatically puts you into semi-final two, and that gives you... And the way Jesse races, it's a super good way of getting to the final, but then it makes it harder in the final because you've had to because you get that little bit shorter recovery. Um, but then again, it makes the road to the final maybe a little bit easier. So it, it's a difficult difficult balance. But I reckon if I was Jesse, I was on home tracks. So I'd have been going for the victory. I'd been taking one of the early ones. But at the same time, she's also shown before that it's possible from heat. Uh, a semi-final two that you can win so well and it, i also think it's like it is a, a valid observation that you pick quarterfinal one or two and you're like up against sundling and she and rebum or something and then you're out in quarterfinal number one which like i think at a certain point you have to pull the band-aid off if you actually want to win sprints and maybe jesse doesn't necessarily want to win sprints but like yesterday it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in front of a home crowd like that so i don't know i mean i think it's an interesting conversation for sure um no, yeah. absolutely it's like hey benny like it totally is and you have to you have to make those decisions but at the same time i also have to say a lot of top sprinters from the u.s had a tough day on the women's side yesterday Definitely. i mean rosie's on the women's side like rosie's really struggling right now which is which is tough to see but we can't forget about her fantastic start to the season can't take anything away from it and uh that's how it is but she had a she had a another tough sprint and like Samantha Smith, who has like been had a great season, had a great qualifier. She got beat around, beat up out there, and so did Julia Kern. Like these are super talents that that were struggling on on the home course and on the home sprint. And and Diggins did come all the way to the final. But when I saw she said, when I saw the wheels fall off with she said in the final, I'm like, man, Diggins has to be thinking right now, like why did I why did I empty the tank in the quarterfinal when I probably didn't need to. But that said, you know what. You, 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 she always races with her heart on her sleeve, and that's why we that's why we love that kind of fire that she has. Benny knows all about racing with the heart on his sleeve. I mean, Ben gives me like Ben puts me into AFib when I see him racing quarterfinals and stuff like last year. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I respect the uh, I respect the selecting your heats to uh, advance rather than to win for sure. I mean, it's uh, the the early quarterfinals can be really daunting, but I also think that. Uh, you bring up a very good point, like with Sunling skiing the way she was skiing, like you don't want to, you really don't want to cross her till the final. I mean, cause uh, she, she was something else uh, yesterday, especially after that qualifier. And like, you don't want to put too much weight on the qualifier, but when it's a four second win over second place or whatever it was, I mean, that's something you got to give some credit to. <laughs> I, if I was Jesse yesterday though, I would have been like, okay, I was second best and Jesse's strength is just going out and going super fast. So if you're in a heat with Sundling, who has been so good, you know the likelihood is that Sundling's going to go fast. And Jesse also is su super good at just going an even fast pace. So if she can just go out, stay on Sundling's back, and then get a little ride to the finish, there's a likelihood that they're going to drop the other people behind him anyway. And if not, Jesse can go to the front, push the pace a wee bit. So it... I don't know, I'm useless at sprints, so me speculating that um, <laughs> me speculating about what people should do is a little bit a little bit bad, but 
Yeah, we, we really should have just invited Sundling and uh, Jesse yeah. Diggins instead of instead yeah. of Musgrave. But you know, what what can you do? We'll take what we can get. I, I wanted to just quickly um, uh, the the Sundling winning yesterday. I mean, I I, I was in Canmore uh, before I was here, and you know, I think everyone's been watching World Cups all winter. And I, I mean, I feel like. Sundling, I don't know, I don't have it at hand, but like the last time she won a sprint is not as recently as she was winning sprints like in the past two seasons. And I was really struck by watching her cross the finish line yesterday with like a, a, a real uh, emotional uh, fist bump, whatever you want to call it. And talking a little bit to some of the Swedish coaches today, they were saying, you know, she's she's really been waiting for for that kind of result. And then, I mean, Maybe that takes us uh, on to the distance races, unless there's anything because because there's uh, that that creates a natural segue. Unless uh, Devin, we're no, missing anything here. Let's do it. Let's go into the, the distance race, especially with Ben here. And now we're gonna now we're gonna get like I'm gonna start with the the shock of the maybe not the century, but oh my god, that's Schumacher, World Cup winner, 23 years old, first podium ever. Unbelievable. Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. And then the dude wins in like yeah. one of the tightest 10Ks I've seen in a long, long time. And I mean, a 10K is not a race I've competed all that much. That's more for the youth. That's for you, Benny, and uh, for Muzzy here, who's not the youth. I like to call me, uh, uh, I was going to say, I like that you call me youth when I'm definitely not young. <laughs> no, no, but, but either way, but either way, like, Muzzy, you were... You were ninth, and you were ten point what, like ten point eight, ten point nine seconds back. This was a super tight race. But, but speaking, speaking of the aggression, speaking of this aggression, like, and this is what I love. I, I mean, I've sang your praises, Ben, and your team for a while now. But like, that all American muscle, and like, you take no prisoners. And from the early splits, Gus was charging, and he kept charging, and he did it alone. Like, uh huh. I mean, how, as as his teammate, I mean, like, take us through that race. Like, what what was going through your head when you were seeing that man? I mean, this this morning when we were watching, it was it was incredible. He uh, he just like started out, and we were oh, like, wait, oh wait wait wait. <laughs> Yeah, you can keep going. Okay, Benny. Okay, Benny, keep going for your teammates. Pour one out. On. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt whatever was going on here. <laughs> no, wasn't much. Oh, I was just talking about this morning when my, my mom and I were watching the race. And we, we were going to say how, you know, the start list was set up such that, like, the, the, when you were passing through the splits, it was clear that you were having a good race, but it wasn't clear that you were having you know an incredible race so we were watching splits and, and we were we were stoked for you and then you got into that leader's chair and it was just like every every uh every person that came we were just like oh you know claybo oh no he's behind kruger he's behind and they were just getting further and further behind and we were just like at first i was like he's a lock for top 10 he's a lock for top 10 and i was like nope He's a lot for the podium. And I was like, no, holy shit, he's going to win it. Like, 100% he's going to win this thing. And it was nuts. I mean, my mom was, like, was freaking out. And we had some neighbors here. And it was just, like, it was craziness. It was it was really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to be out there to give you a high five in person. But it, it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. And I was so proud because it was, 
felt like one of those days where you just capitalized and uh, you got to capitalize in life. You know, it would have been, it would have been a shame to, to have what you had today and, and get fourth, you know? So you just were like, fuck it. I'm going to go for the home crowd and I'm going to win this thing. And, and it was just remarkable. So I'll, I'll try to be inspired by it. Thanks, yeah, miss me out there for sure. It would have been more than a high five, you know that. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> oh, so we were just oh, discussing why, why, well, how he got mono. Since you hear. <laughs> yeah, that was mono. But, but that's, <laughs> since you're here for a little bit, like, I, I'm, I'm, not, I mean, I'm, I'm wildly impressed with what you put through today. I mean, 23 years old, you win individual start, 10k on home snow, the first time that has been a World <laughs> Cup in, in the U.S. in 23 years. But you did it alone. This is the other thing that I don't think people understand. Like, Paul had an amazing race. Like, Goldberg had an amazing race. But he just rode Amundsen for two laps. So he only had to do it alone for a lap. Playbo was getting rides all over the place, too. And you, and you were just, like, you were just out there solo mission. Like, ha, 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 how did you do that? Like, that, that was... Just such an incredible, incredible performance. Yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you get lucky and get a good ride, and sometimes you get lucky and have great skis and feel amazing and have the home crowd and everything else lines up, and I think that was, like, my situation today. And, yeah, body felt great. And, yeah, to do it without a ride is, like, really makes it feel special and, like, real and, yeah, super stoked with that and... Yeah. Mate, after that really race, crazy. I'm pretty sure you're guaranteed a ride tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I want I to <laughs> I, I, I jump in here because, uh, you know, Devin, you mentioned like uh, Gus was leading from the early splits, and I know kind of everyone mentioned this already, but just to put a finer point on it, I mean, so Gus started way out in front of all these Norwegians. Uh, someone needs to buy that guy a beer. Um, but uh, but it, it was, we didn't know that Gus was like ahead at all these splits because, you know, he was the first fast guy coming through and it was like, um, kind of like Ben was describing, but uh, I just think that the, uh, so I'm wondering, Gus, if you can actually, I know you've done this about, 15 times already today because I watched it and listened to it many times in the mix zone. But I mean, can you describe what it was like for you to, to finish and be like, sit down in that chair in the mix zone and then for like reality to slowly land on you over the course of the next like 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah, I mean, Ben like described it exactly as I went through it, where I like, I finished and I was like, oh, leader's chair, nice. I got to hop on this while I have the opportunity because, you know, like the next bib could displace you and I've spent probably a total of 30 seconds on that thing in my career uh and yeah I was like after a few minutes I was like damn I bet I'm gonna get a top 10 here and then like the 6k splits were like the Norwegian guys were still like not quite hitting it and I was like damn this is like pretty good but I know these guys pace super well and like are gonna have a ripping finish and then like they started finishing and I was like oh my god I might get a podium and then, and then Luke was like, I was like, you're going to fucking win. Luke was like, you're going to fucking win this thing. And I was just like, oh my God, I might actually win this race. <laughs> and then it happened. Yeah, that was 
super crazy and it's so fun to have everyone like in that corner by the leader's chair just like coming up and like being there with me because that was so much fun yeah i mean i i have what little i can add today and and i know like bill mckibben is in the audience here and uh was was right there as well but you know standing there i, I like gus I saw you come past. I was like way out on the course and it was like clear you were having a pretty decent race. Like obviously, you know, same, same thing for me. And I was like, well, I better get down to the finish and like hear from Gus. And, and I got there and the, the mix zone, which is where the athletes come through um, to talk to the press, like it's totally empty. And I was like, shit, did Gus, I was asking like, did Gus already come through? Like, where is he? And, and Ken uh, from Faster Skier was like, no, no, he's in the leader's chair. And, so I was like, I was like, that's probably a good picture. So I like was kind of peeking over and then I was like, oh yeah, I have this photo band. Like I can just go stand right next to the leader's chair. And then I went over there and it was like, there were 10 people from the US ski team over there already. And, and just like seeing this like blob of folks like start to gather and gather and people just like gradually starting to lose their minds that you had like what you had accomplished and then when it kind of finally landed like seeing it seeing it on your face too like going from this like just like wow this was a good day to like elation and whatever it was that hit you it was it was really like it was a really cool arc to watch and i, I just like i don't know like you, you could not have written a better like storybook for this event here today and like what a privilege i think for everyone to be able to watch that so Um, I also want to ask one more question, which is, is there anything so far about being on a World Cup podium that's just like been totally surprising or is it exactly what you'd expect? I mean, I guess like the World Cup podium aspect of it is I've seen it happen and I've seen my boys get on it too and my teammates. Uh, but I think this podium was like not really like the others in that it like the timing could not have been better here in Minneapolis with like so many USA fans and like people that are just super psyched to watch skiing and yeah, to have like my best day ever on skis, you know, in front of them has been really sick. And I think makes it a different podium than uh, like maybe I'll ever get again. Hopefully, probably. I was going to say it means maybe you won't retire after the end of the season. <laughs> oh no, man, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm retire after the end of the season. Yeah. I'm, re I'm retiring today. I'm not going to lie. I was walking out of the finish like a bit depressed because I thought I was going to win today and then I didn't. And then I, I was like, I'd seen that I wasn't going to win and I was like, all right, I'm leaving. I don't even care. And then I just heard as I was walking out that Gus Schumacher is going to win the race. Oh! And just like seeing these like crowds of people swarm into the finish uh to see you and like just to like look at joy on all the spectators faces it was pretty cool so yeah if there was one person that was going to win then it was pretty pretty cool that it was you if it wasn't me appreciate that yeah. well Muzzy, Muzzy, that's, that's a fun segue because like it was one of the tighter world cup 10ks i mean it was like and this was quite different from the women's race, which was essentially a blowout in a lot of ways for the top 10. And you, you know, you kind of, you kind of drew the, the, the short straw there. I mean, you're only just a shade under 11 seconds from winning from Gus, but you're back in ninth. Like, 
how did your race go today? Can you like walk us through that? And how did it feel out there? And where did you think it, how did you think it would stack up when you crossed the line? Well, <laughs> when I crossed the line, I'm not going to lie. I was 10 seconds behind Gus Schumacher. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is a load of shite. <laughs> That's a, that's a 25th place lock right there. <laughs> so, that is the majority of the reason I was leaving the mix zone and was like depressed. But then, but then it turns out it wasn't such a bad race after all. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> that, that, that was my main takeaway from the race today. I don't know, do we, I mean, do we need to hear any more about the men or should we just talk about Jesse Diggins for a little while? I mean, I, I do think it, like, it, it's incredible uh, to see an American, like, you know, these, these men's distance races, like for the past two, three years, it's been all Norway on every podium all the time with like maybe a little Sweden and a little fake, fake Great Britain, who's actually Norwegian. Um, and, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Such a lie, such a lie. All right, I, we, we've, been, we've been there. We, we've been there, done that. But, but I don't know. I mean, just to like, it, it really was amazing today to like see like Claybo and Kruger and, uh, and I think Tone Seth was out there and all these Norwegians like try and fail to, to dethrone an American. It's like, the, it's, a new, it's a new and amazing narrative for cross country skiing. And, Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully Gus doesn't retire and we get to get to see it again, so. Yeah, and I do want to add too, Nat, like I want to add, and, and for Ben and Gus, but we talked about this before, homies, but like, you're, you guys are in like the start of like a golden age of American men's skiing and enjoy, enjoy it, homies, because like what you guys are doing, now you have three podiums, there's still a month of racing left and the American men have taken home three World Cup podiums, three different people, and a win in in sprinting, in distance. Yeah, it's uh, it, the future is really bright, and to see you guys support each other and the way you guys race, like if it's Ben just going ballistic from the word go in classic, or or Gus like doing what you did today completely alone in a 10k skate like that, like. Um, it's not just the results that are impressive, it's the way you guys are doing it. So keep it up. We're psyched. I'm psyched to cheer you guys on and I mean it's pretty inspiring stuff for an old hag just like me. So pretty good. I appreciate it. it means a lot I, to me. I'm also quite psyched about it, but you should stop beating me so often. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get right on it. <laughs> Maybe it sounds like Monty, it sounds like you were the one that gave Ben mono. That, more and more I'm thinking about it. Like, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, watch yourself. May, watch yourself I, I've guys. tried many times, but he's out my league. <laughs> yeah. No, but let's let's uh, let's talk about the let's talk about the, the the last race of the day that was honestly like teed up for the. I mean, this was this was the big one before Gus just came and burned the barn barn doors to the floor. Um, and ten k skate, and the hype was real. I mean, like it must have been so electric at the stadium after Gus yeah. won a World Cup, knowing that Jesse Dickens in the yellow bib was coming up next. And I thought it was an incredible race to follow because I was expecting a super, super tight race, like super tight times, crazy, crazy margins, like t 
tiny margins, and that is not what happened. And I don't know what do you, what was your guys' thoughts on that? Like, what Sundling did was like, oh, oh my God, that was an outrageous first. It was her first distance win of her career too, and and what a way to do it. What do you guys see? Yeah, I saw the uh, I saw the same. I mean, honestly, it was a little bit similar to to Gus in that Yona was like one of the earlier of the like really fast people to start and you know she but she threw down just like some some really a really good early time if i'm remembering correctly and then everybody that came through was just like either back or way back from her and then i was thinking oh surely she started surely she started too hard or something and then that obviously didn't happen like it almost felt like her lead widened um over the early girls and then as the rest of them came through and then like as jesse started i expected I'll be honest with you, like the the sort of wire to wire world champs 10k Jesse win here, uh, just based on the rest of the season and everything else. But yeah, the 1.9k split, I think she was already seven seconds or I don't know four or five seconds back, and and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then yeah, just like how I was saying, everybody else. I mean, I kept saying, oh well, surely she'll be pacing and and you know close this gap, close this gap, and it just kept widening, and I was. I was amazed, and it was one of those, felt like one of those ones where it's just like, what do you even do? I mean, she was something else today. <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. Uh, my main takeaway from the race today was I've never been more impressed by Jesse than I was today because you saw that, like, I don't know, not 100% sure the American women had the best skis on the day. It's super difficult to tell when you're watching on TV. But, like, Jesse, you saw she was, like, properly having to fight the whole way. And the way that she managed to finish and save the spot on the podium was, like, I think that was one of, I, that is one of the most impressive performances Jesse has done because she, like, had to dig super deep at the end there. And I, I was dead impressed. I don't know that I have... Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's true. It. I mean, like, it's crazy what she was able to do at the end there. And, like, her technique was looking... It looked like a fight from the first split. I mean, like, she was... I guess whether it did or didn't, I mean, you, you never know what you get with Jesse because she could look like that early in a race and then just destroy the field and and hold that kind of pace the whole way. But, but Sundling's technique, she was so solid. And one skating or like what is it B two or what's that like when you when you pull every time I always forget in America B two B two yeah so she's like B two and everything and and a lot of other women are switching over to uh, offset and like I I couldn't believe it like it was it was a master it was a masterwork of of, of Sundling out there and then like Frida Carlson too I mean Frida Carlson she got crushed by Sundling to be fifteen seconds behind but Frida also lay the boots to to Jesse and Svan and the rest of the field to be second and and she looked like there was very little chinks in her armor so that that also made Sundling's performance doubly impressive because I, I thought Frida looked great from gun to tape like no weaknesses and just got outclassed so it was uh it was absolutely outstanding race to walk I mean it was just kind of mind-blowing I mean I, I think Ben already sort of said this, but, you know, I was standing in the mix zone looking at the fifth live timing and it was like, okay, Sundling has a lead through 3K and 5K and then you're waiting because she's a sprinter 
for for those like times to get smaller and smaller and smaller and and they just like they never did they got bigger and bigger and bigger which just i don't know i mean we've seen sort of flashes of this in the past from sundling but like not this season it feels like she's been really sort of up and down and um yeah just like kind of astonishing and cool result to see today i don't know uh what else what else did you guys i mean three three swedes in the top four <laughs> yeah <laughs> We're, we're, are we ready to uh, are we ready to jump into some uh, listeners? Right, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just jump in and talk one more thing about what Devin said said before we move on. That like yeah. uh, when when we got told that we were gonna do a race in a park in Minneapolis, I was like thinking, oh my god, we're just gonna be faffing around on this flat course. <laughs> and, we, and we got here, and the course was actually super nice. There's these hills, and it's like you've got to work all the way, but there's no massive climbs like you get in some of the European courses. But I think that played a lot into what you were talking about with, um, sorry, I'm getting close to the mic again, um, with Sundling today. You said, Devin, you said her technique was super good. And I think that is part of what you've got to do. You've just got to ski super smooth. And there's, you don't get these super long hills that the like VO2 max dead, like, uh, high capacity people where they can just make massive gains it's just all about skiing even and then the technique plays a massive part in a sort of course like this so I think that's a lot why Jana was so good today because she does have that nice smooth technique and then she can just keep that going through the entirety of the course and then you must have skied good too today I didn't see you ski today Gus but you must have skied good as well if you won <laughs> yeah. But Muzzy, Muzzy, I have one question before we go over to some questions, take, taking some questions. we got some people emailed us, which is great. But before we do that, I have one question. And like, what's up? Why were the gaps in the women's race so much bigger than in the men's race? Do you have any insight into that? Like, I, I was kind of at a loss. I, I'm not really sure why it played out the way it did, because the course is the exact same. People were skiing it aggressively right from the start, but the, the gaps were just... They exploded compared to the men's. We're getting some tips from the audience here that the snow changed. Could be that. It was getting warmer. Like, it was definitely warming up during the race. Um, and so I reckon if I'd had, like, an earlier start number like Gus, that I probably would have gone quite a lot faster. Pro probably, like, 10.9 seconds, something like that. <laughs> Uh, but to be honest, I I like I don't know. Like, I think Yana is just. To that? No, 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 no. We we don't need to. We don't need to hear from you. We're just going to take that as the gospel. I would have been ten point nine seconds faster if I'd have started earlier. Oh, that maybe. <laughs> Shots fired, baby. <laughs> No, but I love it. I think we should take some. We should take some questions well, while we have some of the some some of the World Cup. Hold on, Ben. Is Ben raising his hand now, or is he just twiddling his thumbs over there? I, I wanted I wanted to add one more thing before we jump into um, questions too, which was uh, one thing I heard from some folks. I think by email and and also in person was just about like this was the best weekend of my life, and how do we get this to happen again? And um, you know, I, I was curious about like. 
you know, this is the first World Cup in the United States in, in 23 years. And, you know, you, you obviously like 700 volunteers here. Um, that's worth a round of applause, I would say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there, there is no, I, don't, I do not think there is any U.S. World Cup on the FIS calendar, on the International Ski Federation right now. And in talking with the International Ski Federation today and with the organizers here, I, I, I do just want to report that I think the organizers, the Lopit Foundation, which did an amazing job, they were like, yeah, hell yeah, this was awesome. We do want to do it again. Yeah. But, um, you know, Let's I think, go. A, uh, it sounds like the, the sort of commercial structure, like a, a World Cup in the U.S. is not necessarily a lucrative endeavor because you don't have sponsors lining up to, uh, as, as much as this feels like a huge community right now, um, you know, we are not, this is not the size of the market that, like, national and international advertisers are, are looking for. So it sounds like that's an obstacle, but it also sounds like there are some like enthusiastic organizing committees out there like here and in Lake Placid. So my guess and hope would be that, you know, in another couple, three years, we, we see another event on the calendar. But I do think that, uh, you know, folks, that these, these groups that might do this, like they probably need your help and your enthusiasm and, and some encouragement. So would uh, would just put that put that out there but yeah i don't know devin you want to throw some throw some yeah, questions I'm, sorry i'm gonna jump guys? in on that i'm gonna jump in on this and i get muzzy's kind of interest because she's a more of a veteran here on this this is what i don't understand with this though like it's a world cup and i don't understand why we don't start the season every single year in north america i mean they do it in alpine yeah they do it in alpine it doesn't matter if it's a championship year or not in Alpine, in the speed events, you know, you go to Lake Louise, and then you go to Beaver Creek, and that's just what you do. And I think when you compare, like, racing, I'm sorry, nothing against, like, Galavari or Ruka, but come on. I mean, like, it, I mean, it would be, it'd be so incredible to start the World Cup season every year in North America and make the World Cup a World Cup again instead of a European Cup and then just establish it. So, yeah, that's... That's what I'd like to see. That's what I'd like to see. Maybe a stop in Huntley, Scotland, for example, too. Maybe, but I, I think we probably shouldn't go to Huntley early season. Garen, I don't think we can have a snow guarantee there in November. No, exactly. No, but I don't know. I just think I just think like when I, I hate the excuse from FIS all the time or people. Of course, the 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 business structure of the World Cup. We don't have time to go into it, but it's. If we want to talk dumpster fire, like it's a straight up dumpster fire. Essentially, it's the complete opposite of what you'd want a World Cup structure to be financially, because all the onus is on the local organizing committees, essentially. But then they're hamstrung by by non-compete clauses with different sponsors. So we're not going to get into that. But the fact of the matter is, like, I think throwing your hands up and saying like, oh, the calendar's too tight. Like we can't, it's, it's too hard to make it happen. Maybe in three, four years, that's, that's a poor excuse if you want to grow the sport. That, that's, that's my opinion. Ben, ben or Gus, uh, any, anything you want to add to All this right, I have to leave to a team meeting, but thanks guys. Glad you're having a good time at that brewery. Yeah, thanks Gus. Uh -huh. you're, the man. you're the man, Gus. See you in a couple weeks. Later. One last round of applause yeah. for Gus before he goes. Yeah, Ben, you, there got, we go. you got anything you want to add on the global World Cup uh, concept? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree on, on some level, and I also disagree on on other levels where, like, yeah, the, <laughs> it, needs to, it needs to come back here because, like, the people, the people want it so badly, for sure. But I definitely have heard quite a bit from Jesse about, like, yeah, like, how expensive it is to host these things and how, like, much of a burden it is on the community. And, like, it's for that reason, I'm not sure, like, I would advocate for the World Cup to come to the U.S., every single like you know november under the under those circumstances because i think that like at some point you pretty quickly start taking away from like you know the resources available for u.s skiing that's happening in the u.s you know like Lopit foundation you know like they're known obviously now for throwing this world cup but to me they're known as being the club that has like by far and away the most juniors and the most high school kids and like you know that's what they do you know, and if that's money into, uh, into hosting a World Cup, like, as fun as it is for the kids and as fun as it is for us, I'm not necessarily sure how to advocate for that. That being said, I don't know too much about how it works, so it's a complicated, a complicated thing. I'm just going to say that, like, Devin loves slagging off Fizz, but it, not everything is always Fizz's fault. So, like... The last few years, the athletes have always been saying, oh, we're doing too many races. Uh, we need a week off, blah, 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 before Christmas. And I don't always agree with this. I think the athletes quite often are a lot of wusses. Um, but, like, in FIS's defence, when they have their annual meeting every year, they do quite often take on board a lot of the feedback. And then they're like, okay, if we can do what the athletes want, we can have one less weekend of racing before Christmas so they get a week off and can do some more training and it's more sustainable for the athletes. And then they're like, okay, we've got to work out which country isn't going to have the pre-season World Cup. And then it always ends up, all the countries argue, all of them want to have their World Cup and no one will be like, okay, we're not going to do a World Cup so that then we can have this weekend off. And it always ends up being all the individual countries that have these World Cups that can't agree between themselves who is going to take the hit and not have a World Cup. So FIS quite often do listen to us athletes, and then it just ends up being an absolute shitstorm when they try and implement things. But to be fair, they are the authority, so they could just be like, right, we're just going to sack you off, Yalavida, or Trondheim, you can piss off. So, so, so I, I'm giving them a little bit of slack, but at the same time, they could just like, make an executive decision as well. Or not just an executive decision, Muzzy, but, like, take a leadership role. And, like, it's your show. It's Fizz's show. So, I mean, throwing your hands in the air and be like, well, then everyone's fighting with each other and the athletes want this and whatever, so we're just going to roll with 36 World Cups. It's, it's poor leadership. That's all I'm saying. But I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit, but also the athletes are absolute wusses that just don't want to do races. It's like... Come on, have you? We, I was watching a hockey match yesterday, and like, have you seen how many bloody matches they have? Like, and we complain about doing like one extra weekend of World Cup races. Well, they, they get a break every 30 seconds of play, you know. <laughs> it's called a line change. You don't yeah, get that. That yeah, would be yeah, actually but a great I, I've format. also tried playing ice hockey before, and it's much harder work than cross country skiing. <laughs> and I, I spend most of the time sliding around on my arse as well. Fair. Uh, your coach should not allow you to do that, like as much as basketball. Um, Devin, should, do you want to you want to lob some questions out there for uh, for our honored yeah, sure, guests here? Yeah, sure, for sure. Especially while we still have Ben. Ben's got to get off here and start resting up because she's got 
the next 15 years of his career. Take to that maple, daily maple syrup bath. Yeah, exactly. But I have, but I have a fun question. This is a really good one that we got. There was a question. I think it. I'm not going to lie. I think it's probably good that we're keeping Ben on this because if he uh, logs off, his right hand is going to get a lot of a workout. <laughs> <laughs> This is me speaking from experience after having had mono. <laughs> oh boy. We'll have, we'll have to edit this out. <laughs> but this is a question for Ben. This is a question for Ben because it, it handles on sprints. And the question is like, what the athletes do between the sprint heats. And then especially if you're in heat one of the quarters, what do you do before a semifinal? So, you know, that's like 25 minutes right there, or it could be, or, or more, essentially. It depends where you are. But, um, like, what, what is it? Take us through that. You're in, the, you're in quarterfinal two. Um, you move through, of course, because you're Ben, and you're just crushing the classic sprint like it ain't no thing. And then what do you do between that and, and your semifinal? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, it, it, for me, it definitely varies based on how cold it is outside like uh if, if for instance in uh in period one when it was really cold sometimes i would just like bundle up and go and run or run around or try and uh try and ski if there's some skis in the in the training box really easy just just really more to like keep your muscles moving keep things from pooling and, and stuff like that and tightening up um but then yeah if it's a warmer one like in Canmore, for instance, like we oftentimes have a spin bike in the uh, in the box or somewhere around the the start finish area. So I'll sometimes hit that because that can be a nice way to sort of like keep your muscles moving without bringing your heart rate up or like while well, allowing your heart rate to come down. In many cases, uh, so that the spin bike can be a good one. But of course, if it's freezing cold out, it's not great to just be sitting. So for me, it helps to just like engage the upper body when it's cold and stuff. So. Yeah, but it also changes a lot, you know, like we were saying earlier, if you're heat one versus if you're heat five. And for the women too, like if the women are heat one quarterfinals, they don't have a semifinal for like an hour plus, I think. So, you know, they're definitely skiing every single time. They're getting their puffy on, they're going out and skiing 30 minutes and they're coming back. And the other thing we're doing is we're watching the heats that are happening and, and learning about the tactics and trying to see who's doing what and, and make a plan for the, what's to come. I'm, I'm going to jump in and ask a question about this. Because like, when I was younger, I used to be okay at prologues. Um, but I've never been good at the heat. And, and I think a lot of that is the mental aspect. I'm more of a distance skier. So I'm used to like, psyching myself up for one push, for one distance race. But like, how do you manage to like, tackle the, that you've got to like, psych yourself up for the prologue, and then the quarter, and then the semi, and then hopefully the final? Do you kind of go in with a little bit like you don't psych yourself up fully for the prologue or do you have to be like max like excited for doing well in the prologue and you can manage to do it multiple times? Because that, that's what I've never understood with sprint people because it's like if, when, I, when I used to be okay at prologues, I would do the prologue but then like mentally I would just be like tired after the prologue and I wouldn't be able to psych myself up to the same level for the quarterfinal. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think I actually talked about this the last time I was on this show a little bit, but it's definitely been a challenge for me where, like, I, I have 
definitely fallen victim to the sort of like getting super fired up and doing well in the, in the qualifier and then, you know, being a little bit satisfied or sort of like not being able to get in that headspace for the heats. Um, but I will say that like this year, I've, I felt like I've really tackled that um, and I sort of like approached every heat with like in a good, <clears throat> a good mental headspace. And that's also something that I'm doing in between, you know, so like say, and also like the, the qualifier, I definitely don't get as nervous, excited, hyped up for as I used to, like, it's really, you know, it, I feel like I can just go through the motions on that and, and have it usually work out. So, but definitely in between the quarters and the semis, I'm like thinking about, you know, how I'm going to get psyched up, how I'm going to make sure to like, you know, be competitive and be, be sort of the best version of myself. And, you know, one thing I've been really working on is just like never being satisfied because like, it's, it's always, it's so short, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to say like, I've done everything I can do you know, because it's so short, even if you're tired, if your legs are flooded, if you're breathing hard, like you can go out there and do that 1k hard again, you know? So definitely just like starting to believe that more has been something that's been really big for me this year. And, and also like, you know, again, like I've watched, I've been sidelined in more races this year on the world cup than I have in any other year. Um, when I've, and I've, got, I've only done this for a couple of years, so that's not a crazy statistic, but you know, you watch, you watch races and you're just like, it, you know, it, it's a reminder that the whole day goes by quick. When you're in the moment, it feels like so long and I don't know, it feels like it's going to be so hard to get to that next thing. But yeah, I've definitely been able to just like total line in the semifinal and just be like, you know what, I got this and I can, I can crush this and get to the final. And then you total line in the final, you know, it's so tempting to just be like, ah, if I get, if I get last in this, like I'm six, still a great day. But it's just like, no, you know, you, you hit that final and you're like, man, I'm three minutes from being done. And like, I can either capitalize here, I got to capitalize here, or I can just like let it slip away. Like it's three fucking minutes. What's the worst that happens, you know? So that's when you just like, that's kind of how I've been getting getting the motivation to just go out there and do it. And yeah, I don't know. It's been a fun thing the last couple couple weeks or a couple years to work out. Any more, any more questions, uh, Mr. Kershaw? Yeah, we got. We actually have a lot of questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. We've got so many. But one here for Muzzy, because he's the one that raced here. And in that, you can you can weigh in too as a as a, a journalist, a kind of washed up Nordic skier, Williams grad journalist. Um, there's been a lot of questions. It's like how do the how do these courses, both the sprint and the distance, if you can speak to them individually, Muzzy, like. How do, how do they stack up? Like, of course, the atmosphere, I think it's 10 out of 10. Everyone said the same thing. It's just been outrageously good. So we don't have to cover that. But like, how do these courses in Minneapolis, how do they stack up to others on the World Cup that you've raced over the last 17 years that you've been on the World Cup? I think ev every course is different. Uh, oh, I'm getting another beer here. Right, one second. He's not, he's not going to be able to get home. This is why you don't invite British Canadians on. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> right. Every, every course on the World Cup is different. Um, and so you get some with big climbs, um, some with more corners and all this sort of thing. Um, this one, it's, I'd say, total climb. It's kind of maybe on the lower side. But, like, that makes that you've, you never get these long breaks like you get in the... It's like Lillehammer, for example, it's known as a super hard course. 
because there's this really, really long climb in the course. But at the same time, you get up to the top, and then you do a tuck, and you're in this tuck for 30 seconds. Whereas here, you just never get any breaks. And so I feel like it's one of the harder courses we do, because you just got to work all the time. You've got to push through all the corners. And, and so, like, ev every course has its unique traits, but, like, I, I think that's what's one of the exciting things about cross-country skiing, that... There's different courses that suit different people better. And like, like we were talking about earlier with Yana, that this is one of the courses where you've got to be a technically good skier and you've got to do everything perfect because the diff or especially on the men's side, so the differences are so small. So any small mistake is going to be a massive cost in terms of positions in the field. And that, that's what's super impressive about Gus today is that he just he didn't make any mistakes and he's just done everything well the entire way through the course. So he's, uh, he's an impressive skier, is that, Gus? Let's go. He did all right today. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have much. To, I did get to ski the distance course on Thursday, and um, I, I just, it does, it, it was a surprise to me, too. I mean, I, I'd skied at Worth Park once, like, 15 years ago and had not remembered it being sort of so lively and kind of engaging skiing. And, I mean, even the hills, like, they were, they're not, like, Canmore or, or big European-style hills, but... You know, I, I was skiing medium, and then I was skiing easy and going up, like, the big sprint hill. Like, that, that, it's not a, that's not a small hill. Like, I was going slow and, sit, like, just, I found myself being like, yeah, I could single stick this if I was really not thinking about it. I, I'm actually going to throw in that I thought there was a big difference between the distance course and the sprint course, because total climb on the distance course was probably not that big in compared to, or compared to some of the European courses. Um, but the sprint when I, I did my first proper effort when I was doing my warm-up for the sprint and it was like I started off like what I thought was a sort of moderate pace and I was going to kind of increase the speed as I was going along and then I started off at this moderate pace and then I was like halfway up the hill to the top and I was absolute wrecked and so the sprint course like just the first it was so long from the stadium until until you were at the top of the highest point it was kind of like up to the highest point and then down was the sort of the way, way the sprint course went. But it was a long, long way until you were top, at the top of the high point. So I thought the sprint course was pretty hard. Sounds, sounds legit to me. I, yeah. I, can I, Devin, can I, throw, can I throw my own question here that I think is, is topical? Please. I'm going to do it. So, so Muzzy, I've noticed uh, you've had a couple beers today. And, and I, I actually think this is a really interesting question. Not very many shots yet, though. Yeah, well, this is, this is a brewery, uh, sir. Um, but I am legitimately curious, so, and, and Benny, maybe you can also speak to this. Like, I think it, it appears there's a real sort of spectrum in how athletes on the World Cup sort of treat, like, the season, where, like, I think some folks will go, like, full monastic uh, austerity, and uh, some folks maybe are a little like more normal, and then maybe some folks might be a little more like you, uh, you know, <laughs> shotgunning a beer. Legends, you mean? R right, right before, uh, legend, right before you get on a flight back to Europe. And I'm curious what your what your guys up, what your guys own sort of personal like, how you think about like uh, having fun, and particularly like, you know, partying or what. I know I'm not asking you to like be Sophia Lauckley here and like tell us you partied every weekend, but more just like, 
what are your rules? What do you do to sort of make sure you're able to have fun, but you know, taking care of yourself and yeah. Um, I think it all is about having balance in your life. And I think it depends massively from person to person. And some, some, it's about what makes you feel that you're doing the best job possible so that you feel you have the confidence that, okay, I'm going to be the best skier possible. And for some people, it's like if they're in the zone and they're like just fully focused on skiing and there's nothing outside of that, then they feel like that is making them the best skier possible. But then for other people, that's just mentally draining. And if, it, it, and if you just don't have the right balance, then you're never going to be the best version of yourself. So I think it depends massively from person to person. And for me this year, like uh, I've probably been out quite a lot more than I normally have. Um, and like through the autumn, like I just realized that like being a little bit more relaxed in what I'm doing m meant that like, I managed to have a lot more focus on my training sessions because I could, I could be like through the week, every single session full focus. And I knew, ah, oh, maybe Saturday night I'd go out for a few beers with the boys. And then I, Sunday I would chill out a little bit. And then Monday I would be super motivated for doing the job again. And so, and I haven't been so much like that previously. I've been a little bit more like, right, it's the season. Can't do anything apart from ski. And like, it's a long time if you're going to start from the 1st of May and then you're going to just be fully focused until the end of the World Cup season at the end of March it's a long time to not have any sort of life and well I think, I, I think that's what Gus Schumacher did though so may, may, I'm, just, I'm just kidding I'm just kidding <laughs> I would have beaten Gus though if I'd started earlier <laughs> Ben, Ben, you want to add anything to this conversation? Like, uh, have you had any beers since uh, May or since you know November? Yeah, yeah, definitely, but uh, not. You know, I agree. Not just getting mono because my liver's already struggling enough. But uh, <laughs> the no, I 100% agree with with uh, Muzzy. Like, it's all about having balance, and I've been I've been singing this song for you know as long as anybody, even though I'm on the newer side. To the World Cup, I just think that like through every every level of skiing, like having balance and feeling like really proud of yourself and, and what you're doing, regardless of uh, how you're doing in skiing, is, is really key. And I think that again, if you're somebody who takes you know pride in your being the social butterfly and, and you know flapping your wings and going out on the weekends or whatever, then I think that you have to do it. And like for me personally, like that's you know. Not 100% my style, but I have plenty of other things that are a total drain to my uh, to my athletic career that I that I must take part in every year. Like in the summertime, I uh, I like to work on cars and be out in the sun all day in between training sessions, and uh, it makes me feel really good about who I am. And sure, maybe I'm a little bit more tired and dehydrated at the end of the day, but it uh, it it lets me sort of have like that that satisfaction. And I think that like after a season like this, where Obviously, it had a lot of highs, but it's going to end on a bit of a low note. Like, I get to come home, and, you know, once I'm able to be out of bed for a bit longer than today and yesterday, I'll, you know, go out and engage in those hobbies, and I'll be able to forget about skiing and not be too hard on myself for not being out there doing what I really want to do. So I think that's super key. And, uh, you know, but during the season, like the actual season, you know, for, for us, I think, yeah, it, it, it 
for me, it's still something I'm trying to figure out. You know, I, I used to have school to, to take my mind off things, but I don't have that anymore. I definitely look at my phone more often than what would be ideal. So I'm trying to change that for future years. And, uh, but you know, you got to be careful about getting sick and stuff. You don't want to get mono in the middle of the season. That would be a bummer. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You got to weigh the pros and cons of these things. But I think if it's something support that's important to you and it, and it gives you energy for the next couple weeks or whatever, then like just yeah, just do it. Go go to a restaurant, have some have some beers, have some tasty pizza, talk about something other than the World Cup, and and just soak that in, you know, because it'll make you faster. So that's my take on it. Have you thought about uh, like buying like a 1965 Fiat or Ferrari in in Europe that you know between races uh, during the winter you can uh, use to take your mind yeah. off things? <laughs> I, you, you, I know you're I know you're joking, but you'd be surprised that I you know on nights when you can't fall asleep, I think about that for sure. I'm like, man, can I get can I get my hands on a little something, maybe a little barn to escape to, some nice tools. Oh, it'd be a dream. I think I think but, uh, uh, it's, I think Muzzy's uh, allusion to what you're gonna be doing with your hands during your time off is maybe a little maybe a little misplaced here. <laughs> that was It'll what I was talking equally. about earlier. He was using I was yeah, going on yeah, about yeah, using no, a spanner. <laughs> Yeah. All, right. All right, Devin, you got anything else on the list? Do you have to go to bed? Like, what time is it there, oh, man? Yeah, I, I got to go to bed soon. I got to go to bed soon, but I think it is actually a really important discussion, honestly, like about, like, managing your energy. And I think, I know when I was younger, I was the bane of my coach's existence because I was really into climbing. Uh, and, like, a teammate of mine at the time, who's now, like, a fully certified mountain guide, was also really into climbing. And, and we would, like do our morning session, do our afternoon session, come, we were roommates, come home, make the world's shittiest, fastest dinner, put it in Tupperwares, drive out to the Craig, which was in Camor, not that far, but still like five, 10 minutes and climb till dark or fly fishing too. Like I love fly fishing. So I'd like be like coming home in the dark, uh, like wading through the Bow River or like the log jams in the Bow River to get to my car. And like, of course, it doesn't seem like a really good idea to do that when you're training, you know, 80 to 100 hours a month. But at the same time, like Ben saying, like, like Muzzy saying, um, it, I think people don't really understand, like, how hard it is to be truly focused and understand, like, okay, like when Muzzy says, like, Monday morning comes and I'm, like, focused on what I'm doing, there's a difference of punching in and punching out. And if you, if you train like that in cross-country skiing, yeah, you'll be fit, but you're not going to be fast. So you have to do things with intention and that means you have to look at things definitely more holistically to what do you need to do to get that energy. I know in the spring, like a lot of, like I had buddies in the spring that were like, literally, this is going to be a, a throwback for most of you guys that don't even know who this is, but like Jan Ulrich was a, was a cyclist, a pro cyclist that raced against like Lance Armstrong and stuff and was kind of known for well partying his kids off and, and getting like completely out of overweight and stuff. And I had teammates back in my days that would like April would come and they would just party essentially for a month straight and they'd come into May like quite out of shape and that was never me but I would also I'd come into May like almost in the best shape of my life because I was so into ski mountaineering I'd do, be doing like alpine starts every single day in the Rockies and just destroying myself doing that so like everyone has their own little things but it's about managing it and doing it at the right times I have a lot of funny stories about that on the World Cup like I mean, I, some weekends, if I wasn't racing a, a, a race or something, it'd be a distance race, like a 50K. I've, I've seen Pietro Pillarcotter out at like 
1 a.m. the night before 50k skates, drinking beers, and then be on the podium the next day. So like, the it, World it, it, Cup it, it, sounded saying, so much that. more exciting back in the days. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I know a biathlete that was at the Olympics in 2010, and he had a photo from like two in the morning with Pilicotra two days before the 50k that Pilicotra was hopefully going to win a medal in. And, he, and the Pilicotra just said to him, okay, you can take the photo, but don't show it to anybody. And so I, I, wish, I, was, I wish I was good back in the days because it sounds a lot more exciting than it is now. We're also boring. Yeah, no, it, it is funny, it is funny, but I mean, I'm using that as an example. It's funny that you uh, used Pietro as, as your example too. But it's like, you know, people, you have to know yourself. And I think that's, that's what it comes right down to. But uh, yeah. But I have two more questions. There's two more questions we're going to do, and then I'm going to peace out. Um, one's for Ben and, and, and Muzzy. I'm just, I'm just so bad with my nomenclature, American nomenclature with technique. But I, there's a lot of questions that are coming up. It's like, we've talked about this a lot with Sindling over and over, but, <clears throat> but just to describe, in Minneapolis, the, a lot of people have been noticing and, and asking questions, emailing me. It's like, the athletes are V2ing, so that, that's one skate, right? That's like pulling every time, right? Yeah. Way, like, way high up the hill were the people that are asking the questions. Like, I would have changed to, like, V1 alternate. Is that what it is? V1. Which is V1. V1. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. They didn't say alternate. I added that for a little bit of spice. No, but so they would have changed <laughs> to V1, like, way lower on the hill. What's up with this? Like, is it truly that better technique? I'm going to bury the lead. It is way better technique and it is way faster. But why is it that you guys are trying to, not just the men, but the women too? Like, how come athletes, especially on a course like the distance course in, in Minneapolis, where maybe more gradual hills for a World Cup skier, um, why are we forcing the V2, boys? Uh, Muzzy? I, I got an answer, but... I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. So, like, what... It depends a little bit on what the race is. So yesterday for the sprint, um, I was thinking that, okay, the hill, the steep hill at the, up to the high point isn't so steep so that we should be doing V2 um, the whole way up it. And then we had a coach out on the course that was watching the women's race. And he was also watching the early men before I started. And he said, okay, all the guys that are doing well are changing to skate what, what we call skate V1 uh, quite early in the hill, not pushing uh, V2 too far up the hill. And so then I, I changed to V1 dead early, and I had the best qualifier I've had for ages. Whereas Richard Juve, who was on the podium in Canmore, he did V2 the entire way up the hill, and then he didn't even qualify. So I, th I think for the sprint, it showed that like you had to change early, but for maybe it's a little bit about efficiency. So in a distance, maybe it's slightly more efficient to do V2 further up the hill. And it doesn't, it's not, you don't use as much energy doing it. But I also, I also think that like, okay, the best people are doing V2 further up the hill, but that just shows that they're probably in better form, they're in better shape. The better shape you're in, the further you're gonna be able to go up the hill in that technique. And so a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, I'd probably have changed to V1 earlier in the hill. And that's like, maybe you're not quite as good as you're on a up that hill. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I agree. Like, I think that, you know, in a sprint, you got to play to your strengths and it's not as important. But I was definitely thinking about it from a distance standpoint. And I always kind of think of it as like, which I know I was going to make uh, <clears throat> you guys laugh, but I always think of it as like a two stroke versus a four stroke engine. You know, if you're a, if you're view wanting, it's like a, it's like a two stroke or it's like a, you know, you only doing the you're only getting power on one side, one every two. You know, whereas you V two, when you're V twoing, you you are like applying your full body's worth of power on both strokes. If that makes sense. So, you know, for me, it I think of like, you know, the the V two version is going to be more powerful and faster, but it's going to use a lot more gas a lot more energy or whatever but then like the you know the uh the v1 is like more torque maybe like more acceleration opportunities but like in a distance race you're really not looking to accelerate and decelerate quickly like you really want to just be steady especially skating so that's why like you know staying staying with that v2 all the way up the hill or up the hill as far as you can is so advantageous because you're not you're not using a whole bunch of energy to go at a at a higher tempo when you don't need to, to sort of maintain the same level of, of power output, if that makes sense. It's probably uh, a bit of a convoluted metaphor, but... Yeah, I've, I've spoken a little bit to Olaina Bjørndal, the biathlete. The, um, about the Michael Jordan of biathlon. The, Ma the Michael Jordan of biathlon, yeah, about technique this year. And he... I've always thought that like maybe changing over to V1 going into the hill could save a little bit of energy. But he said, he said that he's always thought the opposite. The V1 can be super fast up the hill if you're trying to go as fast as possible. But he always yeah. tried to do, if it was a three-lap or a four-lap race, he would try and do the first few laps. He would go V2 as long as possible because he wanted to save his V1 as long as possible because he reckoned that was like a harder effort for him but he would go faster. So he would do as long as possible as he could with the V2, and then he would save the going fast bit for the V1 towards the end of the race. And so I think it's probably different for individual athletes how they think about it. But to be honest, what, what I think is the main thing is just what I said, that what's natural for you as an athlete is you'll go V2 further up the hill if you're better. Wait, I want to hear a little bit more about this. Uh, is this a casual uh, relationship with uh, Oleiner Bjorn Dahlen, or like what's what's going on there? I haven't got mono from him. If that's what you're asking about, <laughs> is he is he an informal coach, or you guys are just like you know sending some messages, or? Uh, no, no. It's just I've spoken to him a couple. Of, um, uh, spoke to him randomly a couple of times, and then he just gave me a wee bit of advice. Um, it's it's not anything formal, no. Okay, I thought that was maybe a cool cool scoop, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Devin, you want to hit us with your last question here, and then you can uh, you can fall asleep. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, I don't have actually that much of a last question because like a lot of the last questions are like like just kind of people wanted to know what Muzzy what Muzzy's going to do in this whole cross country thing. Winds, winds down, which, which happened. But I'm, I'm, I think we don't need to get into that because after qualifying 33rd, I didn't even look that far up the heat list because I was sure you were <laughs> just sat it out. Uh, so we still got a lot of, a lot of uh, juice left in the tank. And then people want to know, Nat, where you learned to pour your beer. Apparently. Yeah, no, I did, a, I did a bad 
I did a bad. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, man. Still tastes good. Bad pork. And then, and then I guess, I guess I'll leave with this some salaciousness for Muzzy. Um, people want to know what's up with Petter Nortug's comeback, and since he's the grown on, and Muzzy lives grown on, I guess we could hear. Uh, what, what do we think about Petter Nortug's comeback? I can keep it short. If anyone's hoping to see him back in the World Cup. You can put down the marijuana cigarettes because that's not going to happen. But uh, interesting to hear what Muzzy has to say. Pretty much on the same page there. <laughs> so um, if anybody ever reads the Norwegian press, um, then the, you will have seen a lot of Petter Nortug a couple weeks ago because he came second in the Norwegian Cup race, which is the, <laughs> which is the level sort of below World Cup uh, if you're Norwegian. And it was a super impressive performance because a lot of the guys that he beat are, have done really well on World Cup this year. But at the same time, he double polled on a course where, there are peop where other people didn't double poll because there were these technique zones and things. And I think, to be honest, that Petter Nortug is going to struggle a lot to qualify for any sort of World Cup races in the near future. But at the same time, it is Petter Nortug and you can never fully write him off, but I would be very surprised if we're going to see Petter Nortug on any World Cup races in the near future. Seems like we have a, a Norwegian expert commentator here in the room. We have so. a Norwegian expert in the, uh, in the crowd here who is telling us that he's definitely not going to try and go for any World Cups. So, but, it, but it really was like, I mean, basically since um, Jesus was resurrected, I think, I don't think there's been any news as, as big as this in Norway. It really made quite a, like there were, they were like interviewing coaches and then they were like interviewing like friends of coaches and ex-cousins, girlfriends of coaches about Petter returning to the <laughs> world championships. Yeah. So, um, cool. Well, uh, exactly. well I want to say... I want to say thanks a lot. Benny is looking like he's crashing. We're going to let Benny go, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to bed. Muzzy, thank you so much for, for showing up. Good luck. We'll see you in a couple of weeks over here. Matt, thank you so much, and thanks to the crowd. And Dust Schumacher for dropping in on Devin, this. I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm very impressed that you have managed to not talk for the entirety. Or it's not just been Devin for the entirety of the podcast. Let's give that Good a round effort. of applause. That's called progress. That's called progress. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Ben, such a sport for showing up, man. Wishing you to have best recovery and cheering super loud. And Muzzy, we'll see you in a couple weeks back over here, buddy. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, I'm going to log off, too. I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. Good to be hooking yeah. you guys up. Ciao, man. See you next Bye, time. Guys. Give it up Take for care. Devin and Ben. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Devin Kershaw Show. We'll be back soon.